in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you. We bless your name. We give you praise today for our life class. Lord, we ask that you will come and help us direct our thoughts and our thoughts this evening um, as we continue to look into the topic of repentance from dead works. But I would pray that you will come and shed more light on it for us. Come and give us illumination of the heart because for every doctrine there is a light that needs to shine in our hearts to bring understanding. I pray that um, the light for this will shine in every heart. Uh, in Jesus' name, thank you. Praise God. Um, okay. Um, first of all, say good evening to everybody. Good evening to all our pastors. Special thanks uh, to God and also to Pastor Femi for the, uh, this topic over uh, the last few weeks. And thank you, Pastor, for not rushing it or taking time to help us go through this issue, this topic of repentance, which is very key to uh, our... Um, it's very key to our orientation, our spiritual orientation. And uh, it's one of those, those areas where if we miss it here, if we don't understand this doctrine, that this, it can cause a lot of problems um, in the future, uh, in, in, in our journey with the Lord. Um, I think I've... I've um, I've been opportune to to have insight into, you know, maybe certain um, situations, and maybe also knowing certain examples of um, circumstances where the the absence of this grounding in this sort of doctrine has caused uh, serious problems. Um, and um, it's, uh, and oftentimes it manifests in the the inability to be to be in touch with one's um, with one's weaknesses and one's infirmities, and it's very healthy for for us to have a a good stance of. Um, the the weaknesses that we have still, and the work that God needs to uh, uh, still needs to do in us, and the areas of our person that hasn't been fully perfected yet, um, is the doctrine is called doctrine of repentance from dead works, and so these dead works are works that are things that are still in us. Um, there are works that have been done in us, which also manifest as works that we do. 
um, that we need to have a posture of repentance from. And it's very, very healthy uh, to have, to, to, to constantly carry that ability, the ability to always uh, be in repentance for everything that is in us that is below the standard. And I, I will, uh, Pastor Femi has done a very good, a great job. He was able to help us see it from different angles. You know, he looked at the um, aspect of, of course, confessing our sins and um, the um, sort of attitude of faith we need to have mm -hmm. to receive repentance, you know, re uh, repent, or oh, sorry, receive forgiveness. Uh, and like he, he really emphasized the fact that forgiveness is something that must be received by faith, which is very true. And um, there are a lot of Christians who fall short of receiving forgiveness by faith. And you see that, you can see that play out um, in the form of condemnation, right? Uh, the feeling, that constant feeling of condemnation, which is not healthy and which is different from what I was trying to describe earlier, which is just that sense of being aware of your weaknesses and not covering them or not covering our shortcomings or um, hiding them, but constantly knowing them, being in touch with them and being in a constant state of repentance you know, towards them. Um, there is the healthy aspect of that, which is necessary and vital for our Christian journey. And uh, which, as on, until you, the, the truth is, until you have really sat on the throne in glory, that is, until you sat on the, on the eternal throne with eternal life in glory, you cannot grow above this thing here called repentance. You can't, nobody can grow above repentance, even though it is a foundational, you can call it a foundational doctrine or fundamental doctrine of Christ, but you don't, <laughs> you don't become too spiritual that you no longer repent uh, because as long as you are still in the journey, you are still being saved. Those things that you are being saved from are things to, to, to constantly repent concerning. Mm, so this makes repentance something very deep. Repentance actually is deeply spiritual. It's very deeply spiritual. Um, and it is, it is vast. and It is more than just kneeling down to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Because we know very clearly, of course, Pastor Femi has said it too, that the, the mouth can say, I'm sorry, forgive me, but the heart hasn't repented. So repentance is a deep thing, that, you know, in the heart. That um, is it, something that should almost be a perpetual posture of the heart. That as light is coming, um, it is light that brings. Pastor Femi also you also mentioned this and emphasized the point that it is actually light or revelation, insight into our sinfulness that 
causes or or triggers and and pushes the heart into repentance. So you find that the more that light is being shed on our our state, the more light is being shed on our heart, the more um, insight we are getting, the more repentance should be should be happening. The more the deeper our heart should settle into repentance. You now find out that um, the when you come into a, a place, maybe a community or a season where there's so much resources of the spirit for revelation, so much revelation knowledge, so much insight into the word of God, so much um, insight into God's will, so much clarity, so much investment of the spirit and of heaven on shedding light on God's ways and God's will. In such an environment, there should be a deep, um, a very, very strong culture, both within every heart and even, it should even begin to, it should manifest even in conversation. A deep heart, I'm sorry, a strong culture and posture of repentance. The more the light, that's the way it should be, the more the light, the more, the, the deeper the repentance, the stronger the repentance. Um, so, so repentance is more than just praying. It's it's, um, it's something very deep in the heart. Um, but as I was saying before, there is um, there is that place where the heart uh, person who is not really, uh, who doesn't really fully understand the doctrine of repentance can mix it up and move into faithless condemnation depending on what kind of you know maybe sins have been committed or you know if the heart has the wrong response towards light or the wrong response towards revelation and if it's not a faith response but rather the enemy is able to use that to afflict the heart and the soul that can move the, soul, the, the person into a, a state of uh, condemnation which is not healthy because condemnation will not lead to repentance. It's, it's, condemnation is a chastisement of evil spirits. It's like flogging. Like when someone who is in condemnation, who is um, dealing with the spirit of condemnation, it's like if, the way it feels is like yeah, someone is constantly flogging your heart you, where you, you constantly feel bad and sorrowful about yourself and your state. But without a kind of redemptive element, right? It is. Um, I would using the Bible. I would call it ungodly sorrow, you know, because the Scripture says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. But um, uh, condemnation is more of an ungodly sorrow that does not involve faith and will not lead to repentance. And it's something that that needs to. We also need to pay close attention to and. It's something we should not just take for granted and say, okay, well, we are we are, we are mature, we've grown a bit, we can handle it because you can this the, the spirit of condemnation um, is a very is a wicked spirit, is an afflicting spirit. It can stick to a, a heart, uh, it can stick to a soul, 
even when the soul has journeyed very far, sometimes the more the soul is receiving light, the stronger that spirit can stick to the soul and depress the soul. And the sign of this feeling of condemnation, when it's someone can be, be a person could be a prey to this spirit of condemnation without even knowing it, because they don't know that what they're experiencing is this spirit. Mm, but the way it manifests is when when light comes, the way light hits the heart, it's, you know, when normally when revelation is coming, there should be a refreshing feeling of revelation. There should be gratefulness about it. Even when it's exposing your darkness, even when it's showing, you know, weaknesses and all of that, there should be a gratefulness because there's a feeling that help has come. And that's the feeling that moves you into repentance. You know, you know help has come, that this is not doomsday. But a soul, a heart that's suffering from condemnation, when the more you increase the light, the more the revelation is increasing, um, the, the, the heart um, begins to, um, the, the, the person, the heart is not able to journey with that light. And instead, what, is, what begins to happen is an overwhelming feeling of, you know, of inadequacy, with a feeling of um, um, not being able to, you know, not not maybe not not qualified for the, for for the standard, um, a sense of being below the standard and not having what it takes to meet up. You know, being locked in that kind of place, that hopeless feeling. And there are souls who suffer from these things sometimes, even at a very high place where the truth of God is spoken at a high. I please. So I'm trusting God that um, deliverance it has already started coming, even through these last few weeks. We've been learning about this, and and if there are still any people who need, who need deliverance on either side of it, I'm I'm just seeing two main sides where this sort of teaching should bring help to us. Uh, it is um, the side of um, those of us who need to be awakened and reawakened again to the into the spirit of repentance, that perpetual state of the heart where we are allowing the the edge of the sword of the spirit to pierce deep into our heart and cause contrition, you know, and lead us into the the, the presence of God and ask asking the Lord in sobriety to help us deal with things that need to change in our lives. Um, and then um, the other extreme are those people who uh, who, are, who receive the word but allow the enemy to take the word and use his own sword of affliction against the soul to cause sorrow and a sense of despair. That doesn't, that doesn't lead to repentance. So I, I'm trusting that maybe if we have questions along any of these lines that uh, we can ask the questions, uh, maybe we, should, we can just go ahead and open it up. So if anybody has a question about any of the, the teachings so far, uh, any aspect of it, you can just go ahead and, and raise your hand. I'll see you and I'll ask. No one is asking yet. Okay, I'm still waiting. Please ask your question or, you know, these topics, um, this is the time we have allotted for this topic. So if it goes, 
I don't know when next we'll be talking about repentance and and these things. So I still give us some time <coughs> to meditate, maybe refresh our memory. I hope you haven't forgotten what was taught, uh, or maybe we'll do, do a recap if some of us have forgotten. Okay, I see Edith Young, your hand is up. All right, please go ahead. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Edith Young. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Hope you are good too. I'm okay. All right. Um, so I don't know if I'll say, I'll call this a question or a comment. Um, because I already kind of know a bit of the answer or the concepts around it. But um, there's something that Pastor Femi mentioned, I think it was two weeks ago, where he was talking about staying in condemnation is a form of pride, Mm. right? Yes. So that really caught my attention because um, like condemnation is something that I've... I've like struggled with in the past and um, it came from a place of feeling ashamed to come before God after committing a sin, right? Mm. Um, like in my mind, I didn't see it as being proud. In fact, it was like, I'm such a, I'm such a holy, I'm so self-aware that I can really beat myself up that I've committed sin that God must be so proud of me. Yeah. So Hearing now, hearing that that attitude is comes from a, a place of pride was like, oh, wow, okay, this is um new. So I just wanted to like get more clarification on like the spiritual, you mm. know, behind that the um the spiritual idea behind that scriptures that back it up. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for your question. Um, I don't know if Pastor Femi is here, um, so I'm just checking. Yeah, Pastor, are you here? Mm. Okay. I'm not saying Pastor Femi. All right. Um, okay. So, well, any of the other pastors, do you, Pastor Sessi, Pastor Bukumi, do you want to speak to to the question. Hello, Pastor, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, so the question, I don't think I I really get what, um, I think I got it, but I'm still trying to process it. Okay. Yeah. Let me yeah. try and phrase, I don't know. Um, okay, you, can, you, can, you can interject if I'm getting it wrongly, but uh, the way I understand the question is that She's saying that, um, as the family mentioned, that um, condemnation can actually be, um, the feeling of condemnation can be stemming from a root of pride in the heart. Mm-hmm. So, And what she's saying is that she can't really resolve how that, that can be so based on her own experience, how she has felt in the past when she felt maybe she was feeling condemned or something she might have done. Um, because typically the feeling of condemnation is one of, you know, not being worthy, not, you know, it's not a, it's not a feeling of maybe of being proud or 
of, mm-hmm. it's not of confidence. You know, it doesn't it doesn't sound like a pride thing. It sounds like some more like something of you know mm-hmm. not ha- not feeling worthy. You know, of God in the moment, and and so she's trying to understand how does that feeling of condemnation? How can that be interpreted as pride? Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I got it correctly, but that's the way I heard it. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much, Pastor. Well, uh, since I already am here. I'll just say something. I'll just say something around that. But I think he's. Um, I think what Pastor Femi was trying to say. It's loving better that you know, it was Pastor Femi that answered this question. But I think what he's trying to say is that, um, it's a kind of pride that is rooted in is rooted in maybe ignorance or something. Hmm. You are making, a, you are talking behind me and I don't want to hear your voice. Sorry, sir. So, uh, so it's a kind of pride that is rooted in ignorance, which is uh, just to say it from pastor's angle. You know, and um, Romans 8 verse 1, which is a common scripture, says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So after the spirit is what makes you not be in condemnation, meaning that there is therefore condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh. Do you get that? So there is condemnation, actually, for anybody that is in Christ that walks in the flesh, that doesn't walk in the spirit. So there is condemnation. Like the person is, 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 but from the angle of pastor, what pastor was saying, and from repentance from dead works, you know, I think I'm listening to him and then understanding what he said is a different ball game whereby you did something and then you stayed there condemning yourself. Now, what Pastor was trying to say is receiving help. Receiving help should be the attitude of the art. Now, staying with that thing, caressing it, you know, might be from a kind of understanding of who you think you are that you are not. And sometimes, some of those processes, God might want to use it to even break at times. You know, it might just be a season whereby you are somebody so full of himself or herself, and then you just constantly finding yourself in a place whereby you cannot even take pride in things. Just like what Jesus said about a woman that he was asking his disciples that, um, if somebody sinned more, the person would love more. And the other person, if he sinned less, you know, he was asking the question. So they now said, is the person that sinned more that would actually love more? So at times it's just a process of, you know, maybe heaven just, you know, 
allow some things to, maybe you have, you know, a lot of us at times, there was a season in our lives whereby we just feel so much, we, we, we feel, let me give an example. I mean, I feel because I could lay hand on people, they could fall down under the anointing. And then you now went to, you just feel so big about yourself. You now went to do deliverance for a sister alone, you know, those kind of stuff. In those days where we are so daring, you know, when we were so daring, you know, even now I would not put a sister alone in my, you know, like, you know, maybe I have an office and then I would rather open the door and let us talk, you know, that kind of a thing, just safety. Even when you know that maybe that's not your conversation, you know, just put some safety measure around yourself. So while we're young those days, we don't have such sense. And we don't put those safety things around ourselves. And then you pray for people and then you just find yourself doing things that you are not supposed to do. You know, after I got some sense at some point in my life, there was a sister that came to my house like that at night while I was in school. I've already had sense by that time. And, and she was she was wearing things that were not really okay. You get so I have to flit my room by the time she entered my room because uh and she was like, Why are you fleeting now that there's a lot of mosquito here? Because I don't want to be too sure of myself. You know, so she became the mosquito that I have to kill or something. So I'm saying this to just try to, I'm just talking around it to let you see that what makes us stay there, what makes us stay there, caressing that thing is ignorance that you feel, oh, you are a great guy, or you are a great apostle, or you're a great pastor, or you're a great brother, that, you know. So rather thinking like that, is better you quickly seek for help you know because if you stay there then that would be pride because you are still thinking of who you think you are that you are not you are still a baby and you need help so just go for help expose it there is this um statement that um phrasing eternal life embassy it says don't cover corruption or darkness or don't don't um, keep it or something say expose it let light shine on it so when you are when we are learning repentance from dead works and milk of the word you know it's a place whereby you are more transparent you are open you are a child you are open to you know your tutors people that you are under so like okay so that they can guide you and that's the angle I think Pastor was talking from. I know Pastor Jeff would help us better, but that's what I just feel to share. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Pastor. Um, uh, thank you. That was uh, that was awesome. Um, I think the, the way the more you as you kept talking, I was just seeing different sides to the the whole. Thing of you know condemnation is um, there are different ways the devil um, get the soul. It's like trying to get the soul into a trap, and um, he does it through different angles. Mm, and um, well, when you 
think of the pride aspect. I see that um, pride. Pride, I think, is more of an estimation of oneself, right? More than, you know, you know how the Bible will say you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, right? Um, and so that's the, the the nature of pride. I've been going from the from the devil, his his conversation, you know, when he fell. Um, you know, the Bible says that pride goeth before a fall. So that attitude of you know estimating oneself, um, thinking of oneself more highly than you ought to, is um, is pride. Now. I where pride can be a a root of condemnation. Um, I think it's maybe the kind of pride that the enemy keeps. You know, you know, we have different kinds of and levels of pride, different mani manifestation of pride at different levels. Um, so when you see someone who is proud, they are not proud in one way. You know, pride manifests in various ways. Um, some pride, the most, the most, um, it goes, pride goes from least sophistication to high sophistication. So some pride are not sophisticated. The ones that are not very sophisticated, you will, can easily tell, ah, this is pride. Even unbelievers can tell, ah, that's a proud guy. Just maybe because of the way the person speaks, you know, always speaking about himself, you know, saying things about himself and trying to place himself in a certain place, himself or herself, you know, among others. Um, that is very obvious. So that kind of pride is not sophisticated and... And I feel that aspect of pride is not very hard. It's not very hard to deal with. You just need to give the person some perspective sometimes and it can make the person a bit <laughs> more humble. Or sometimes life knows how to do it. Not life, life knows how to humble um, people easily. Uh, but there is pride for the, the more spiritual pride becomes, the more sophisticated it becomes. And the more sophisticated and spiritual pride is harder to detect. It's hard to detect by others, maybe the peers or brethren, or even the pastor. Is in a, in a person that pride can be sitting there, but nobody sees it. Even the person himself, and that's where I think, as I said, your question comes into play, which is more like. You can't really see the pride in that kind of posture of heart where you just feel like you're not worthy, you know, you've sinned against God. You don't have the ability to hold on to spiritual standard. You know, you just your your flesh is just it's weak. You know, you're not, you know, those kind of feelings that come in condemnation where without hope. Uh, so the thing is, so if there is a there's still what I just want to make you see in answer to your question is even in that kind of frame of mind, there is still a pride that is more sophisticated than that 
kind of emotion. Why is someone undergoing such emotion? There is pride that is more spiritual and more sophisticated that can still be sitting inside there. And it, it can be the root. At the end of the day, you find that it's the root of everything. Right. And that pride, and if you go back to the definition of pride, like I said, is it's the esteem, esteeming um, yourself more highly than you ought to. And but one can do that without knowing that's what you're doing. And I will show you how that um, relates to condemnation now. If the... Hmm, how one responds to failure says a lot about where one's anchor is. Or I don't know if you, someone got what I was what I mean by that. How you respond to a failure, it says a lot about how what you were depending on. Because the truth is that when a lot of times when when you fail, you the nature is to shift. You look for what is failing, like you can do almost an autopsy of this whole situation. Okay, what happened here? And where, where the eye looks at is the eye just zeroes in on that thing that was it has the heart has been depending on that failed. Mm. So when there is a failure. Maybe some kind of, you know, based on when life comes and it shows that, oh, you failed based on a certain standard, the heart moves to try and locate who failed here. And he shifts the blame, sort of, so, so to speak, on what that dependency, that area of dependency that should have been able to carry that standard. So the, the hidden invisible pride is that when there is a failure that makes a person so down on themselves and so broken that they can't even just thinking about going to God alone. It's not even a thought. There's no space in the mind to even think of God. So even that it's just... You know, all the hearts can see themselves, how they have failed. They have just failed God. That there's just there's just nothing good in the, in this person. I can't see any reason, you know. And then and then one that that that, that kind of a feeling that makes one not want to go to God. But the reason of not wanting to go to God is not really because of that. Of, of it's not a, it's not from a healthy place. Um, it's more from from a place of there is a way I should be when I'm coming to you. I I shouldn't show up like this. You know I shouldn't show up in this kind of failure. Um, when I'm coming to you, I should have there's a steady. There's a, a, a state, a pedigree that I should have. A, what pedigree? A, pe a pedigree at least of somebody who meets this minimum standard that I have just woefully failed on. So because there's that concept of approaching God from a strength that is within the person 
outside of grace and outside of God. That is the, the pride <laughs> that Pastor Femi is talking about. It is that initial, the pride has been there. It's just that the person's attempt to do righteousness has been based on their estimation of themselves. And when that fails, the whole structure breaks down because it wasn't a structure founded on grace in the first place. Now, maybe to better understand, I will now let me look at the flip side of, it, of things, which is a heart that is established with grace, which is which looks more like an inward conversation of, first of all, I'm nothing. I can do nothing of my by myself. In my flesh, do let no good thing. Right? Paul, for example, say, I who am, he said, he said, I who am lower than the least of all the saints. Those are, that's how he saw his own person. He was in chapter chapter seven of Romans that he now said that in my flesh do let no good thing. Paul had gone through experience. It wasn't just revelation. Based on experience, he knew there was nothing good in him. <laughs> Based on his, his own life experience and everything. So God dealt with him to Paul was someone that heaven dismantled. It dismantled everything about him. That, that there should be no confidence. Right? You know, he kept saying, I will not glory in the flesh. Right? That I can't glory in all those things that you know, men normally glory in, even though I have things to glory in if I wanted to, but I cannot, but I must count everything down for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So that was the state of Paul. And that's the healthy state of a Christian where you you try and fulfill God's, you know, standards from. It's from a place of nothingness. It's where you know that even the most tiny little full stop in the Bible, there's nothing in your flesh that can that can fulfill it. That's, that's the attitude. But you know, there's a way that, you know, human morality, all of these things, the world we live in where men have confidence about being good. Uh, so a lot of Christians, most of us have carried those things into Christianity where we feel that our flesh has something to offer when it comes to God. I feel we can try to some point, you know, but, but a real spiritual person who has gone through, who's broken fully, does not does not believe that they are they in themselves they can fulfill one single full stop or comma in the law. They believe that nothing in them. So a person who is operating from that place, who depends on grace for everything, when there is a failing, when there is a fall, maybe there's a sin or something, the instinct is not to look at that flesh or that look within themselves because They've already discounted themselves a long time ago. They know that they are only failing because, and this is something that we all must know, and as a Christian, have this at the back of your mind, that every spiritual failure is a failure of grace. That's something you must know. And you must be able to interpret your walk with God in that sense. See, every when I say failure, I mean when you commit a sin, or when you are, you are living below a standard, or when you disobey God, anything like that, every failure, know that it is a failure of grace. And that's the way God sees it. And any other kind of interpretation will not lead to 
repentance because there will be something at the back of your mind that will start searching within your person for how you could you might not have failed what you could have done right and you begin to and that's what makes a person begin to beat themselves down because they expected righteousness from themselves and the righteousness but if you are your righteousness is in him you know that all happens is just that you step down from grace once you realize that you repent quickly you don't you won't waste time you quickly go back to the source of grace right that, and that's why the bible will say that godly sorrow will lead to repentance because that will happen in a soul whose dependency is purely in the grace of god and not in themselves so so you see the, you can now see the pride there that whenever a person is beating themselves down in condemnation is because to a degree there's a dependency on themselves which which has failed right that that dependency that there's some kind of confidence that so they had in themselves and this sin doesn't lie if you really only have confidence in god once you realize you fail you will go to him it's actually a moment of truth it's a moment of how a person reacts when they sin how you react when you fall fail tell the lord about what your what what your anchor is or where you are putting your trust whether it's in the arm of flesh or whether it's in god and it's in grace if all your help is from God, you know that there's nothing out of you will come, nothing good. The moment you realize you're falling, you will feel bad, but it will lead to repentance and you will go straight to God because you're in your inward sense, there's no other help anywhere. But if there is still a pride in you and a sense that, you know, you have to fix yourself and dress up, you need to dress up for God. Right then, what will happen is that you keep beating yourself down. Um, so that's what I I see, and um, that's the way I see it. And I, I believe that um, the Lord will help us to to really get to that place where um, all of our righteousness or all of our attempt towards righteousness is flowing from a place of complete insufficiency in ourselves, in the flesh, and a full dependence on the grace of God. Amen. Um, and that's what, Eddie Young, I don't know if I'm able to give uh, myself and Pastor, you know, when you put what we said together, if uh, we, have, we have been able to sort of answer the question in your heart, do you feel so? Yes, thank you very much, sir. That, that was very helpful. Thank you. Oh, thank God. Praise Jesus. Glory to God. Uh, okay, let's move on. Questions? Um, we have uh, more. I hope there should be more questions from. Let's see. Is there anybody? Okay, Betty, you have a question. Please go ahead. Good evening, sir. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, I don't. I don't know if this is really a question, but I would just like you to expand shades on this matter. So um, there's a place of, um, I guess, when um, you, I guess, when the Lord, like, um, what's the word? Um, sorry, sir. <laughs> um, I guess convicts you on a matter or something that you're doing, right, that is wrong. Yeah. Okay, so there's that place of, I guess, maybe feeling condemned that you stay away from the Lord which is private, but there's the other place of 
you know, feeling repentant, going to the Lord, just asking for mercy, mm. all of that. So my, I find that there's something that um, I tend to like fall into whenever like this happens where let's say um, something's made aware to me that I'm doing that is not good. Mm. Then I go to the Lord, just asking for mercy, just praying and all of that. And then there's how, because you feel bad from that situation, Mm. you almost start to act out in strength, like rather than, you know, allowing the grace of God to help you you know, come out of that thing, you start to, um, okay, let me just give a random example, like um, learn to, I guess, redo your tongue, like maybe not talk too much or something like that, right? And then you feel bad that, okay, maybe you're talking too much. And then you don't realize that you just start to act by strength and you're just like, okay, I know this is so, like, it's almost like you don't know how to talk anymore because you're just like, you felt so bad from that chastisement, right? And and you 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 don't allow the Lord do it, but strength now comes into your own personal strength now comes into play. I don't know if that explains it, but I was just wondering if you could just touch on that thing of okay, you actually do feel repentant, you go to the Lord, but then you find a way of putting yourself in there, not letting Him do the work, but you exact your strength. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for this question. Sorry. Just so I don't get it wrong. Um, how how does the strength manifest? How how will it manifest when you are now trying to compensate with your strength? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you um okay, I guess so sometimes I, you would hear maybe the Holy Spirit tell you, okay, maybe don't do this one now. Mm. And you follow that linear, then sometimes yeah. you don't wait to hear or anything. You just you just feel like you know how to go about mm. doing it. So it's almost like you start to make rules for yourself. Mm. So that's where the strength kind of like comes into play. Okay, okay. Okay, I understand. I understand. Thank you, sir. Yes. Um, I mean, Pastor Bukumi, do you want to talk about this all? So we can just hear from you. Are you there? <laughs> I'm, here, I'm here, sir. <laughs> uh, I'm just uh, still trying. I'm still still processing the, the question. Okay. Should I try to rephrase, maybe? Mm, yes, I think, yes. Okay, let me try and rephrase, Betty. So if I'm getting it wrong, just let me know, okay? Or if I'm not getting it fully uh, correctly. So I think what you're saying is, um, so if you get to a place where it's become clear to you, maybe by some insight, revelation, you know, that maybe you missed it uh, somehow, and maybe you acted below the standard of what the Lord wanted from you um then of course there's initially there's that um acknowledgement which is all good and going to the lord and 
initiating the act of repenting for it. Um, but what you're saying is that there is almost then some kind of um, um, some kind of reaction that can begin to happen from your heart. Um, that is a, that is a, that manifests as like a tendency to um, a tendency to sort of compensate or to sort of do the things that seem to be right in a compensating way, you know, you know with respect to the you know the failure that just happened. But while that is going on, there can be a perception inside your heart as well that, ah, but this thing is not really the, the spirit leading here. It's just something within your heart that is it's, that's almost like an exertion of strength to to compensate for that failure. And maybe you're asking concerning what is that thing? Where does it come from? And maybe how does one go about, you know, avoiding, you know, taking over a house? She said, yes, sir. So I believe we are on track. So Pastor Bukumi, that's, I don't know if you understood my description. Uh, yes, sir. I, I kind of, I get a sense of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try as much as possible to try and answer the question. Um, the so to answer the question about where where that kind of like where the strength comes from, if I if I get it correct, where when we are just try, trying to maybe compensate. So what that kind of thing flows from, right? Because uh, what what I'm seeing more is is really the is around the heart area. In the sense that it's possible that. Um, The heart, uh, like like I know, maybe from the previous question, it's possible that the heart is trying to, um, compensate, like like we said, in a way, just compensate for the for the fault. So it's possible to try and quickly fix fix the issue. And trying to fix the issue without, without, uh, without much um, in-depth thought or in-depth. When I say in-depth, without uh, much of the flow from the grace, right, of God. For example, you know the way Holy Ghost can um, correct, right, and instruct. More like, no, don't do that thing again, right? And it's possible just, ah, I've seen them. Then just start trying to, almost like a damage control kind of a reaction. Mm. More than the, 
the flow of grace from the heart to actually cause a change which would eventually lead into growth in that area. Um, so it's possible, it's, so the, the compensation can be coming from our, our predisposed nature yeah. to even hide the sin itself. So it's possible to, to try, in a way, we, we are more trying to cover than to actually yeah. uh, repent. And there's a there's a way that the heart can like the heart the heart most of the time is almost almost set to to react that way mm. in such a way that you know once once the job moves into and then maybe conscious of the environment conscious of the people around different things that could sum up into uh, that could sum up into the reaction. It's almost like a sense of a haste, inwardly, inward haste. So it's possible to have that haste. And that haste, what that haste does is it, it's almost like a by, bypass. It bypasses the grace of, of God within the heart that, that someone can actually fetch grace from the inside to address the issue, which is mostly comes in a, in a in an environment of meekness mm-hmm. in the heart mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i guess that, that that's that's the area i'm seeing where sometimes that can that can flow from yes sir. Mm-hmm. and in with regards to the response or how maybe how to address such a thing i guess is more of it's more of living more inwardly pinpointing and like almost almost like relying on the grace of God. It's almost like living with the Holy Ghost every day. Right? That sense where you know it's, the, the Holy Ghost is not just in no don't wear that shoe, wear that shoe alone, right? There is that interaction of um of in almost like inward walkings, you no know, grace. Um, lowliness, meekness in the heart, where maybe we come across something and we are just just willing in our heart and just checking God, checking what God has to say, oh. right? Uh, I, 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 addressing the issue from a place of meekness. Yes, mm, that's that's just. Mm. Uh, what I see, um, perhaps uh, our pastor can. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, thank can, you. Please say something, sir. Hello. Hello. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, thank you for that perspective. That was actually a very perspective that is very rare. That's a very perspective that you know, very rare for anybody to actually check into because it's actually, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, another thing that I'm seeing is that you know sometimes those kind of things can show up in some of the personality that some of us have of like I I it's something I fight with sometimes. Uh or uh, I fought, fought with a long time ago. Something yeah, but a while ago. Um like there was a more time I it was difficult for me to I don't like being wrong. I just had that nature that time that anytime I'm wrong there's a shame that comes with it. 
So I quickly want to quickly fix it because I don't like the shame that comes from being wrong. So I noticed that I always quickly want to fix my sin. If I feel like I've fallen short of a standard, uh, I just feel like, okay, let me quickly correct it because there's one shame I have around being wrong. So I noticed that I just used to use my strength to quickly arrange myself. Sometimes it's not even, nobody knows that the Lord convicted me. It's inside my heart. Nobody's, nobody even knows that there's that interaction inside me. But there's this quick fix that I used to have because of there's one shame I attached to um, being wrong. And there's tendency that at that point in my life, I highly exalted myself to some extent. So anytime I fall below that, I've been told I've been falling below standard. Uh, I feel like I've fallen from a place of exaltation I've put myself. And I quickly want to put myself back to that place of exaltation that I formally put myself. This one, I'm just, I'm not saying that's you, Betty. I'm just giving an example of uh, where I was at a point. So one thing that the Lord started correcting me about, one thing started correcting me about is like, is, and the answer is still that meekness. It's still that meekness. I now come to that point where, number one, there's nothing about me that is right. It's God that is making me right. So uh, I now lean on the fact that, number one, I'm ignorant of what is right. And I should be okay accepting the fact that I'm ignorant of what is right. So that by the time correction wants to come, uh, I I can lean on the person that has the answer to my infirmity. Not that I just want to appear right immediately because I don't like the position of being wrong. So God has to start helping me. God has to start helping me. So one thing about the heart is that sometimes we could have that personality of not, don't like to be wrong. So we always like one quick fix anytime we feel like we are falling short of standard. And in that book, Pastor Maker actually puts it there that nobody, any correction that comes that does not come out of the revelation of God's word does not have any impact on the soul. Is in the book. So if it does not have any impact on the soul, no matter how much effort you put into it, it has not advanced the soul in any way. So sometimes we have to just stay in that place of patience, even after God has corrected us. And we start praying and asking God for help. Okay, how do I go about it? What, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to adjust my heart? How do you want me to position my heart? And before you know it, God will start helping you. God will start showing loopholes. God will start showing mannerisms. God will start showing art dispositions. Before you know it, that thing will start adjusting. I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Yeah, thank you, sir. <laughs> Praise God. Um, thank you, Pastor Femi. Thank you, Pastor Bukumi. Uh, this was... This, thank you, Betty, for this question. Oh, this was a really important one for us to touch. Um, it seems like a lot of people are relating with this. Eh? Oh. Anybody who doesn't relate with this thing is a liar. That's very clear. So we are all um, we all have that tendency in us. Um, you see that feeling of wanting to be right. That thing is probably the cause of almost all the all the problems. <laughs> uh, 
a lot of problems that we have. And it's a, it is deep. I mean, if, if we want, maybe let's look at it a bit more um, spiritually. I think, first of all, you have to understand sin, what sin is. Sin is a, you understand that sin is a life. And if sin is a life, sin is an intelligence. And inbuilt in the intelligence of sin is it is the same sort of intelligence that every kind of life has, which is a primary instinct to protect itself. So if there is sin in the heart, that sin has in inbuilt within it a code, a program of and within that program are all manners of reactions, ways to react in different circumstances like for each scene that is resident in the heart that scene has laws of reaction for every phase of the existence of that scene so and by phases i mean in the commission phase or first of all in the in the inception phase which is where the thought the idea comes in the maturation phase of the idea and then in the acting out phase, the correction phase, then it doesn't stop there. Sin also have more has more information and prescribed reaction for post commission. <laughs> That's a Satan for you. The devil also knows that if you are a Christian, you commit a sin, you will move into another phase of repentance. So in your repentance phase, there's also a wisdom of sin, where sin is still telling you things to do while you are trying to repent. Sin is still talking, okay? There are things you can still do in this repentant phase to keep me alive in you. So, and, and that, that phase is the most deadly side where sometimes we don't have the wisdom because we feel, ah, I've repented, I've told God about it, God knows. Therefore, it's gone. No, no, no. Sin is, sin is, a, is, a, is a creature, is a living entity that is resilient and its, its claws are deep within the soul. And it's, it's not brutal. It is a wise entity that it knows how to hang on even after you've cried and you've rolled on the floor and you've, oh God, I'm sorry. And after it still, still has plan of what you could do after that phase. When you get up and you've cleaned your eyes, oh, thank you for giving me. That scene still has a, a, a plan for that phase too. So we have to be, we have to, now, that's why spiritually, the wisdom against sin, that spiritual wisdom against sin has to be wholesome and how to, how to deal with our weaknesses and to, to stay with it until it, it goes away fully. And that wisdom, and thank God for our discussion has entered this area. The Lord will give us wisdom. To trace this thing, you know, to, to handle sin, you have to look at it. Only the Bible knows sin. Uh, so only the Bible can tell us about it, can show us its, its way of behavior. And, and once you, and in fact, this area we're speaking about, is, it didn't take too long for us to see it in the Bible. Just go straight to Genesis. After Adam and Eve sinned, everything we are just describing it was what was playing out. After they, they sinned, remember? Then the voice came in the garden. They heard the voice walking. They ran away and they hid themselves. You see, they hid themselves. Then 
one thing they did, they found fig leaves. You see that action of looking for fig leaves to cover themselves. And that is the instinct that they had. Now, the Bible doesn't say it explicitly, but I know, I believe that Adam had enough light in him that would have made him have some kind of repentance in terms of knowing what he did was wrong, right? Because if he didn't have repentance, he would have continued sinning from there. But the Bible doesn't say he did that. He was still able to keep himself, keep his wife, able to still keep walking in the presence of God. He never, Adam never left the presence of God. He stayed there, was able to produce another offspring set for God. It means that there must have been a process of in his heart where he was able to uh, still stay with God. But you see that sin, that wisdom of sin, of covering oneself, and that's the root, the bottom of this thing is, and this is the wisdom which sin uses to perpetuate itself post-acknowledgement, post-repentance, is, is a feeling of nakedness. That feeling of nakedness is what is something that sin introduced, which every soul dreads. That is the dread of every soul. And nakedness is not just nakedness from others. You do you understand? Remember, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. They were naked initially, they were not ashamed. They were husband and wife. I don't think that they stopped being naked to each other even after they sinned. But what happened was, even to themselves, they were not comfortable with nakedness. So this is, this is not even about other people. So in the same thing, you, what happens sometimes when repentance occurs in the heart, you, you, when you know you've done something wrong, that feeling of it, failure, going to God and then repenting. But in that process of repentance, that's something that that moment does, is that it makes... It's a moment of nakedness, right? And not to anybody, because nobody might even have known that you sinned. But that nakedness to oneself is actually a nakedness. It's the most difficult nakedness that a man is, is for a man to bear, for a person to bear. A person, and this is a strong statement. You might, you might need to think about it deeply for you to believe me. You might not take it, but, but it's true that a person would rather walk naked outside and than be naked to themselves. Most people have the, 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 see the coping mechanism of life, how actually that worldly strength, where the strength of, you know, carrying on and acting out in the world comes from, I mean the wrong one, not the one that comes from the Lord, from the Spirit, the one that all worldly men have, right? It is based on an imagination of oneself to be something. That's where confidence of living, of the, of the outward life on the earth comes from. And everybody has that plague. Everybody has that sin on them. Which is, in order to act, almost everybody, you must think yourself to be a certain way, to be a certain thing. That's where confidence of action comes from. So, but... When you come to Christ and then 
they now begin to set spiritual standards for the soul, and it becomes difficult for the soul to meet those standards. Each time there is a failure, it's a, it's a, it comes with a feeling of nakedness. It is, that is a time of realization of your true state, that you really have weakness. <laughs> you know, if you had any illusion about yourself, this thing you have just done, you know, you can, that, this is not revelation, it's not in the world of doctrine, scripture, it's just real, you just did some things now, and nobody knows what you know, that even if you had taught yourself to be anything, this thing you just did just proves to you that you are not, you don't, you have an issue here. Okay, so that that nakedness is difficult for the soul to stay in that space, and you see that that place of nakedness is a is also a, it's a place of healing, is a place of transformation. It's a, it's actually a beautiful place. It's, a, it's an awesome place. If it's a place where heaven heaven wishes to catch men in that place. In that moment, that's where lives change. That's where destiny is torn. That's where, you know, um, the people get transformed in that, that state of nakedness. When Because that is a, is a rare place. It's a place where men really enter because of the world has, has clothed men with false sense of security with that shields man from his need for God. So and so, but when one is trying to live up to when they now bring spiritual standard, and one is able to come face to face with your failings and your wretchedness, at that moment is is an opportunity for heaven to walk, because in that place, that nakedness, that vulnerability, it gives heaven the chance to bring uh, a lot of transformation into the soul. Mm. Um. So the the the, the the, the key is being able to stay in that place, not quickly pluck fig leaves. That plucking of fig leaves is your strength. Not, not quickly plucking leaves to cover yourself, but stay there until God comes and bring the clothing. The clothing is grace, actually, until grace comes. And what you want is, is you want... Let grace move you out of that nakedness. Don't move yourself. Uh, don't try to arrange things. So this is what manifested in that beginning uh, when they pluck leaf, fig leaves. You know, when you know, God came again and God took the fig leaves away, God said, no, no. Don't, when you sin, don't clothe yourself. Let me do it. Wait, let me do it. And what I will use will be better. You know, that's how God is. And you see, it's the exact same thing when you look at the contrast in the Bible between Saul and David. The exact same thing. Remember that moment of, David was completely oblivious. All right. You, you need to imagine how, what he must have thought of himself. He didn't even see, when the prophet was, Nathan was just speaking, telling story and allegory and all of that, he couldn't see himself. Because there's a place that he saw, he put himself that this guy that this prophet is described is a very wicked man. In fact, let's kill him. He's a very bad guy. But then when he, the prophet told him that you are that man, O king, that moment David saw, it was a moment of nakedness for David, 
all of a sudden he became naked. All his glory, everything, all he esteemed himself to be, became undone. But you know that that was a transformational moment for David. That was a, a time, that season of nakedness. You saw David did not quickly try to cover it. He didn't quite to try to atone. The moment that light came to his heart, he, rather, what the, the Bible says about David, there's no time to read it, but you can read it yourself. The Bible says David he went into serious mourning. The repentance of David, he, took, he, he tore his clothes, took on ashes, went to the temple, poured ashes on himself for days. He, wasn't, he didn't care what Israel thought about him, didn't care about everybody. Right? And God was able to use that moment as a transformational moment for him because he was able to allow his, himself stay in that place of nakedness for grace to come. But contrary to David's reaction, he saw Saul's own. Saul was very different. When Samuel came and confronted Saul that you have sinned against God, these things that you did is not what God asked you to do. What was Saul's reaction? Saul, Saul said, so when you read that place, you see it's as if Saul had repentance in his tongue. In fact, he said he was sorry, <laughs> but he wasn't, he didn't, he couldn't endure the nakedness. He couldn't handle a season where Saul becomes naked and has sinned against God and he needs to go through restoration and grace has to come and lift him and restore him back. He couldn't, his, his person couldn't take that. He had to tell the Samuel, can you just stand before me? Let's go outside the people. To, with the, to, to the people and almost kind of act as if everything is fine with God. You know, and then this, the prophet refused and you see what he did, he stretched his hand and grabbed the garment, that's strength for you. He said, no, I must, I can't endure this thing, you must. <laughs> as he was trying to grab the prophet, he tore the garment and then God said, that's it. You've, you, by trying to use strength here, you have rejected me, you have rejected my um, me and therefore I've also rejected you. I've torn the kingdom away from you. Amen. Um, so um, so that's one thing that, that we should learn. What every time um the, that moment of repentance is not just about telling God, okay, God, I agree. Of course, some people will not do that, but that's a good once you can get to that step, thank God for that. But that's not the end of repentance, that's actually the initiation of the process. Because if you really comes when it really comes down to it. When my mentor was teaching me repentance, the first time he taught me about repentance, this was pre-word of righteousness, he was just teaching me the concept of repenting. Uh, he said, I will define repentance to you. He said, it's very easy. He said, repentance is not prayer. He said, and of course, he, 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 sometimes he tends to be dramatic when he's talking, but if he wants to drive home a point, of course, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray when repenting, but what he told me, he said, repentance is not prayer, it's not crying, it's not any, forget all those things. He said, Repentance is simple. It's simply this. If you are walking in this direction and you want to repent, stop and start walking the other way. That is repentance. So, of course, the sense he's trying to tell me is that repentance really, the, the real meaning of repentance is, is, is change. It is repentance is the is the is the is the turning away from whatever that that sin is. And that turning away, it's not just an external turning away in terms of action, it's turning away from the sin. And we know that the sin is, a, is actually a, a root within the soul. 
uh, that is, is something like living on the inside. So there's a tendency, that strength to want to cover oneself, maybe after you've just quickly, you've knelt down, say, God, I'm sorry, I acknowledge I've done this thing wrong. And then, as Betty was describing, that strength that kicks in, to want to now act, act things out, it is actually a counter um, action against, against, um, sorry, uh, against righteousness, which means it is coming from the still the strength of that sin that's producing that sort of action to to cover oneself. And because the moment you begin to use your hands to maybe act in a way as though that sin wasn't there, it is almost denying the underlying root because sin is like uh, what you did came from something that is real, that is inside the nature of a person. So you've knelt down, you've repented, you've prayed, and you've spoken to the Lord. And But just that act alone, it's, it's naive to think that that has dealt with the sin, the root of where, let's say, something that had to do with maybe a loss that was that manifested or played out. Right. Or like maybe you said, for example, speaking too much, maybe you shouldn't have spoken and the Lord was trying to restrain you and you ignore the Lord and then you kept speaking. That kind of thing. What is not the speaking that is the sin. The speaking there is that inward, whatever it is within the heart that doesn't want to be obedient to the restraint of the spirit. That is, a, is, a, is something tied to the nature. It's sitting on the inside. And you know that, that thing cannot go just kneeling and saying, I'm sorry. Cannot take that in a way. It is, but rather such a moment where it becomes manifest. Ah, I have this issue. Is a time of nakedness to show that why is there there's something inside me that is not that's making me stronger than the restraint of the spirit. You now discover that in that place of nakedness, not quickly trying to now act, begin to act quiet or something, <laughs> but rather staying in that place, trying to allow God's grace to interpret that thing on the inside right, and begin to deal and that kind of season will be characterized by deep um, when the grace is allowed to play out and to come to the heart it will be char characterized by deep agreement covenant decisions that will be made in that moment concerning yielding to the restraint of the spirit it will, be, it will go it will be on the depth you begin to make decisions in the heart it's a very quiet thing it has nothing to do with acting out okay but within the heart, you see, grace will just be coming. God will be pouring grace. You will be seeing in the future potential sex situations to act out, you know, where without restraint by the spirit, and you'll be denying such actions in your heart because grace has come inside your heart because they will be able to give you revelation about the importance of, you know, yielding to the spirit. They will, they will play out things. How grace comes is by revelation, right? The Holy Ghost can play out movies inside of you. He will play out the end. Okay, let's say you finish saying everything in your mind. What have you achieved? You know, that kind of thing. You will see the vanity in, in, in the just another you know, fear of wanting to express yourself. I'm not saying this is what, what your own case, but I'm just giving an example. You know, that kind of thing. The Holy Ghost can play out the vanity of those actions. And it's not easy to take that. It takes serious nakedness for you to stay in a place and allow the Spirit of God to show those tendencies to you. Right, but in that way, if you're able to stay in that moment, not act with artificial strength, 
you see the grace will flow into the heart. And then at the end of the day, what will come out of it will be um, real repentance, which is, which is the real fruit of repentance, is the real turning away from the ways in the heart that produced whatever action was, was manifest. Praise God. Um, amen. Thank you, uh, Pastor Femi. I think Pastor Bukumi, I thanked you already. Um, praise God. Okay. Um, is there, Betty, I don't know what's your question answered. I hope it was answered. Thoroughly answered, sir. Thank you so much, sirs. God okay. bless you. Thank God. Praise God. Okay. Um, is there any other question? Any question? No question? Hello, sir. Yes, sir. I have a question, but it's not related to um, repentance from dead works. Okay, it, sir. It's kind That's of fine. tight. Okay. So it's a very simple question, and it's kind of tied to um, uh, what Pastor Bukumi took, I think, two weeks ago, some weeks ago anyway, um, where he was reading Mark 16, 17. Um, at that time, we were talking about laying on of hands, and um, something just came to my mind. I, I do have some form of understanding, but I just wanted to, you know, ask and for any other person who may find themselves in the same place. So Mark 16, 17, and this sign shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Um, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Mm. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So the yeah. only part I actually have question about is verse 18a, mm. which says they shall take up serpents. Um, literally, from a physical point of view, the odds of me taking up a serpent, physical serpent, are close to zero mm. and um we all when when we read these things you can because the next part of that verse says if you drink any deadly thing and of course for listening to reverend kenneth Hagin, of course you're not putting god to test uh mm. go and drink a deadly thing and say it will work or something like that but it's just that part they shall take up serpents um it's a little bit hazy for me because I sometimes I fail to see the physical manifestation of it. I could interpret serpents from a spiritual point of view of some spirits or not the serpent as in devil, but spirits presenting themselves in certain natures, serpentine natures, like yeah. we have for scorpions and other things like that. Uh, but I just, if you don't mind, just that part they shall take up serpents. If yeah. you could, even if it's one minute, just spend a minute on it. Okay, yeah. okay, sir. Um, okay, faster. Um, <laughs> um, okay. I will, I would like to answer this. I don't know the answer. Okay, but to try, uh, but. I just got a direct message um, or a question. 
that is more more related to repentance. So I'm thinking, I don't know, is it you, um, you can the repentance one first? My one is uh, uh okay, sir. Okay, sir. Because because this is your question, sir. It's, uh, you know, it's not I don't just have the answer, <laughs> you know, to just give directly. But okay. I think, yes, maybe it's maybe we should just take the, this one if you don't mind, yes, sir. Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, um, okay. Uh, so, a direct message from somebody is, uh, that said, um, uh, what if the scene is habitual and you have to repent always, but you find difficulty in that scene? Okay. So, I'm guessing. So, the question here. I don't know if it, is it more. I think it's more about okay how to deal with um, a scenario where you have to always repent. Um, there, well, there are different aspects of this question, and I would one can answer. But I don't know if it's. Let me see. Is the question how to deal with such a scene, or is it the question um, about more of the repentance for a scene that seems to be recurring? Because those are two different answers. How to deal with the, the habitual scene, but um, it's different from um the question of how to um okay okay how to deal so the person has confirmed is how to deal with arbitrary sin okay okay I'll, there's no time so let me just try and see if i can dive into this um i feel like maybe people a lot of people might have this question but no one asked don't know why. And the other questions I feel around this topic that um, are there, but we are a bit reluctant to ask questions. Um, praise God, it is well. Um, but thank you for asking this question. Um, question. So this arbitrary scene, and I want to, um, because a lot of us here are young and we are in that you know, um, I guess a season young, unmarried, um, which are the category of people who are normally targets to spirits that um, perpetuate um, sexual scenes. And sexual scenes tend to be habitual once there's a weakness for that. So I want to address it more from that angle um, for as many um, who might be in this sort of place. Mm. Um, first thing is habits. So what makes this thing particularly um, problematic is um, so I might go over just a little bit, maybe just a beyond the time a little bit not too much so i can just say a few things about this 
So um, I guess the, the thing is, that thing of habit, maybe the question is, why doesn't this thing stop? But why um, is it so powerful? Because anything that is habitual, which it means you constantly fall into it. Now, it's not, this, it's not only sexual sins. Habitual sins can be lying, can be a habit of lying. Habit, these habitual sins, there are many. For some, it's not sexual. For a lot, it can be, um, it can be anger. You know how the Bible says you can be angry but not sin, but there are some of us who sin every time we are angry, right? We sin every time we are angry. How do I know you sin? Because of you, you begin to talk, you begin to say things, you hurt people, you react rashly, you those kind of things. Those are sins. So some of us have those kind of things you can't control. Once you get your upset, you can't control what you do. You can't control. It's after you now begin to feel bad about things you did. It means you are you are out of control. When you are you get offended. Or for some of us, um, it can be, you know, uh, Pastor said exaggeration. Yes, for some of us, it's exaggeration. You can't, you can't simply say something that happened the way it is. You must exaggerate. You must add. You must add some things. Aggrandize it. A lot of times, it's self-aggrandization in some kind of way. You know, and and later you're not beginning to why do I even need to do because the habits. So habits are. Uh, things that there's just a weakness which you constantly you know find yourself doing uh those things so um habit um and you can also have habits that manifest socially too yes habits that manifest socially which can be um you maybe you you always respond wrongly in certain social settings Maybe and anytime you're in that social setting, there's a way you respond, and that's not right, and you don't know how to respond in the right way. Right? Some some habits can be every time you are corrected, you retreat into yourself. You don't know how to stay open and graceful, receive correction. Right? It's like you you can you can imagine it in your head. Wow, I will be this way from now on. I'll just be meek anytime I'm corrected, but once you're at the moment where something is made, is pointed out to you, you didn't do this thing well. You just move into a kind of state where you withdraw and you, you know, those are habits there. So, so some habits, habits are all kinds of things. Now, there are different habits. There are some habits. When you say a habit, habits have anchor. What makes them habitual is they have an anchor to you in some ways. Now, some of the habits I mentioned, the latter ones are, the anchor of those habits are in the soul. So in terms of their in terms of how the soul responds to certain things. So because of the anchor in the soul, you almost guarantee that you act that way every time. But I want to speak specifically about this sexual one, um, because it's but the wisdom I will use is works for the others. But there's something peculiar about sexual things, and I, I want to say. Um, that the reason for sexual sin, ha- when they are habitual, is that the main place where the anchor of sexual habits resides is in the body. Even though there can be soul anchors as well, it means that there might be a way that maybe certain soul state and make the person fall into it. But a lot of times, when it's sexual in nature, the anchor is in the body. Now, people who have issues with things of a sexual nature um, you know how 
in word of righteousness, we've come to a, into a light that there are wars when it comes to sins, spirituals that plague the soul. There are things that are more, more have more weightier spiritual damage to the soul than you know works of the flesh, maybe sexual things. And then maybe there's a way it can be difficult to reconcile it. You know, some of us might not even believe, some of us be, might believe that, you know, the demon that causes, um, you know, masturbation, pornography, fornication, some of us might feel like those, those demons, those ones, because maybe of maybe our weaknesses, we might feel that in our own experience, those demons are from the most holy because of how strong they are. Maybe you've been dealing with one of those, some of those things you know, sexual lust, things like that. And then it's, it's not going with all your revelation, with all your, you know, those kind of things. We feel that, ah, you guys feel like, you see, these demons that are causing this thing, but maybe in your own experience, you feel these are, these are cherubims, you know, that because of how, um, how strong they are. But it's actually not true. The only thing that makes them really stay long with people is because their anchor is in the body. Right, that is, and that's why the, the, the Bible, um, the Bible sp speaks about when it categorizes sin and it begins to speak about works of the flesh. The Scripture particularly puts sins of a sexual nature, particularly fornication and things like that, in its in a special category. It specially speaks about them. That this one, be careful about this one. Right, this particular works of the flesh, because when you sin this one, you are actually sinning against your body. And what that sin against your body means is that when you engage in this thing, you are burying anchors. It's not just sins of, of your soul. You are burying anchors of this sin into your body. And the reason why it warns is because anything you, that is, enters the body is hard to remove. So if you, if you want to take about the DNA of sexual sins, the way they are, they are, open up the anatomy, you find out that all these sexual sins um the things the demons that cause them are the lowest demons they are not that strong at all the spirits that make people you know that can take a maybe a young person a young man or a young woman and bury them in sexual loss that leads to um masturbation or pornography and things like that or even fornication right those the demons that, that control such things, they are not strong at all. They're actually very weak. And one of the signs that you know is a spirit is weak is check what can shift them away. Right? To remove sexual thoughts of sinful thoughts, lost and those things from the mind, you don't need too much power. Just a phone call from somebody can knock off that spirit, somebody who, who comes with a different ambience can drive away that thing very quickly, right? The desire, the lust, but the same way, most someone who has lust or pride of life in them, there's no phone call that can deal with pride of life. You can't change environment and then pride of life will go away. But somebody who is under that compulsion to see a sexual sin, just sometimes changing of an environment, walking outside, you know, just changing where you are, coming under other present influence, and defeat that pool. That tells you that the spirits that push these things are not actually that strong. But the devil wants you to make you feel like it's the strongest demons in hell that cause them, but it's not true. That's the first lie. 
Like if you are to overcome this kind of sins, the first lie you must know, you must that must be broken, or sorry, that you must defeat is the lie that it is such a strong spiritual influence that is putting you down. It's actually not true. The spirits that do these things are some of the lowest spirits in terms of spirits that they are that militate against men. But what makes it constantly habitual, like I said before, is that it has a root in the body. What do I mean by root in the body? What I mean is that for all these things, and this is for, it might not just be this habit, another habit that falls into this category that I'm describing now, okay, that is also has root in the body are things like gluttony, what the Bible calls gluttony, right? Just compulsive, uncontrollable eating, where you don't, you can't control how you eat, you can't control what you eat, because that is also something that is, the, that is also, it's the same kind of spirit. The, such, the spirits of gluttony, for example, is not a very high spirit, but it's difficult to break gluttony. Why? Because it has root in the body. It has to, when I say root in the body, I mean that there is an underlying physiological process that cooperates with such things. You know, what I mean is that over time, the body has been trained to carry out actions in that, in that kind of way. So all, all that's required is just for the, those spirits to influence, to bring about an influence, then the body picks it up and runs it like a program. And anything the body can easily pick and run like a program makes it, you know, constantly, makes it very, very difficult uh, to break. So what is the answer, you know, to um, things that are um, habitual um, in this kind of way? The, the truth is that the answer is wisdom. Wisdom um, is the answer. Um, wisdom, and that wisdom includes many things, like this topic of repentance, how repentance operates with habitual sins, right? It's embedded within the whole body of wisdom. Means repentance is part of the wisdom that needs to be at play in dealing with this kind of sin. Anything that is habitual, is it exaggeration? Is it lying? Is it anger? Is it uh, the sexual sins that we've spoken about? Is it gluttony? Is it lack of self-control? Is it speaking too much? You know, any of those things that we identify are issues, right? Um, the, the way to deal with them, and if they are habitual, it means there has to be a serious operation of wisdom. Right. So, so now one of the, the main wisdom to have, of course, um, I think we've already said a lot about repentance already. So everything about repentance we have taught applies very strongly here. And even more so because one of the dangers with habitual things is that is the tendency for the conscience to become numb after some time. Right. So if the heart doesn't have the courage to continuously repent. You know, every time, even though it's something habitual, but every time there's a fall, to have the courage and the wisdom, right, to continuously repent in a heartfelt, sincere way, um, every single time, you know, because it's easy to get weary of repenting. 
And that's when the, there's a huge red flag. Once the heart gets tired of repenting because it's something habitual, then that's a very, a very bad place because the conscience we can begin to get a bit damaged. Right? What do I, how do I mean by damage? I mean that the conscience can get to a point where it now begins to, because it's a habit, it now begins to feel okay, not, not, not that bad, and begins to accept almost that habit as part of a normal part of oneself. And that's a dangerous thing. So that's why, very importantly, um, repentance. Um, if you fall into a habitual sin 10 times a day, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, for the sake of, you know, uh -huh, but let's say 10 times, you repent 10 times a day. You, because that repentance is key for, to what you when you see repentance, see repentance as the protecting of your heart. You are, you, you, you must, even if you've not found solution, if the wisdom to come out of that thing hasn't fully come, you are still working on it. The Lord is still helping you to deal with it, but you must never stop repenting. You must keep repenting. You have to always keep repenting to the Lord. Now, the wisdom um, here is wisdom is actually insight, right? To have an insight. Now, the in the in summary, what to break a habit that is sponsored by a spirit um, is one must have an insight into the way that that habit is being perpetuated. That for every habit, that any everything that is habitual, there are um, there are. There are doors. Like if you have, if you have a house and you're constantly finding rodents in your house, is a sign that you have other doors open in the house apart from your front door and your window. That they are probably, you know, when you go look at the whether through the wall or under the foundation or something, they are they are eh, eh, still entrances into the house that those rodents pass in so that's how so and if a habit is getting the better of you all the time it means that there are doors in your in your person in your soul in your maybe the way you live the way your life is structured in your um in the way you order yourself that there are some blind spots that open doors to such spirits. So you must, if you are not able to shift from, so people cannot shift from that um, attitude of, you know, let's say you have a sexual sin, just keep praying, God, take this away, take this away, take this away, things like that. Or just saying blindly, maybe just doing spiritual activity and expecting that because of that, somehow this spiritual sin will go. Um, sometimes that thing cannot be enough. Um, is that there has to be, there's an insight into what are the loopholes, right, that is making this thing, you know, come. So I'll just give you an example. Now, when it comes to um, habitual things, um, for you to, you find out that before you commit whatever sin it is, there's usually a frame of mind. It can be a one particular frame of mind or certain frames of mind that you are in 
that creates the atmosphere for that thing to happen. And there's something that is very, very common with habitual sin is that most of the time you find that that actually it is a sin that is so removed from who you are supposed to be is a lot of times one falls into that sin because in the, in the moment you forget who you are. Now, somebody, it's difficult for someone to be in touch with their body, with the concept of their body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and be fornicating. So if someone is fornicating, it means that there's something, that there's a way, there's a loophole in their inward you know, theology or understanding that is able to make them forget that self-image as the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, that thing of seeing your body, like when you look at your body, how do you see your body? That your body is just this one body that you have. You will never have another one till you, in your entire existence, this is the one body God gave you on this earth. And th this one body is the Lord gave you, take this body, be a custodian of it. This is actually my temple. This is where I want to live. There are many things I want to do inside this body. I'm giving it to you. Take, take care of it. See, that, that sense of stewardship is an awareness of that thing which should be part of your self-identity as a Christian. And if, you're, if you carry that self-identity, uh, it's difficult to now take, you know, you know how, the Bible was, how the Bible was describing adultery or, or fornication. Say, will you take your members and then go and make it the member of a harlot? You know, that, that thing calling your members is your temple. Will you take God's temple? And then go and make it. So, so someone who is committing fornication means that in the moment they have forgotten what who their body, what their body is. There's something in their in their process, and so there are, there is no one size fit all answer to this. But the key is switch to wisdom. So instead of fighting um, with blindness switch to more of a wisdom fight. And the wisdom is study yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you a light concerning yourself. You should know how your feelings work. Know how your emotions work. Know what your, your emotional states. What makes you feel sad? What makes you feel happy? What makes you feel excited? In what emotional state do you tend to, to commit that habitual sin? Always take note of it. Don't be afraid to turn on wisdom. Holy Spirit will begin to show you. Ah, it's when this and this happens that you are in this state, or when this and you feel this way and this way and this way, this thing begins to be triggered. See, when you begin to see those underlying things, you know, wisdom of the Holy Spirit will begin to show you. Then it will now show you underlying things, ways, things that need to be dealt with in your heart. Sometimes um, you will understand there are these times when I shouldn't be alone. Let's say someone who deals with masturbation, pornography, things like that. Those are sins you you typically commit by yourself. You know, those are that one is a given. Um, you don't usually commit those sins with people, right? Those are sins that those are guaranteed. When you are committing those sins, is when you are by yourself alone, where there's nobody around. So that's an example. So you check, okay, what times do I uh, am I, do I have this kind of space around me? So you must know that, okay, if I'm moving into this kind of emotional state, 
that leads to this thing, then around this time, I must not be alone at this time. That's wisdom. Now, is that I can't take time to describe in more detail, but I'm, I hope that I've described enough to describe to tell you the sense of what I'm saying. Now, the key of wisdom that doesn't mean that all your life you have to be using that kind of calculation, but you are fighting a war against a spirit. It's a, it's a wisdom war against a against a spirit that's trying to damage your temple. So the key is that you want you have to use that wisdom carefully. No matter what you how you feel about sexual sins, they are not everlasting. They don't have everlasting. No matter how they make it might make you feel because you keep falling into it, they do not have everlasting strength. No, what their their perpetuation are in patterns and cooperation with your body. You understand. So all you need to do really to break the cycle is keep applying wisdom. Apply wisdom long enough. For your body to forget those things. You know, there are records in the body, records of sins, how to cooperate with certain sins and certain feelings. The body has that, that memory store. Spirits have stopped the body. But when you begin to, to, to starve the body of those things through wisdom, over time, you will see everything the body has learned, it can forget. Every wrong program, is just you just need to subject it enough time you will see by the help of the spirit not just by yourself uh -huh. by the help of the holy ghost the body can forget all those things and then very very importantly the way you every everything you're dealing with sorry i'm wrapping up now every sin you are dealing with you know the way spiritual laws work you don't remove sin and leave a vacuum it doesn't work that way in fact what casts out sin is grace Grace must come and swallow up the sin. Mm -hmm. So what, as you are applying that wisdom, the grace from where that wisdom is coming from will also be telling you, okay, the time when you normally give to this that makes you sin, give it to this other thing. It will feed your life with other, other interests, other things, right? Um, there, is a, there, is a, there is a mind in the spirit that doesn't sin, right? That is the mind, of course, very clear. The mind of Christ doesn't sin. Christ's mind doesn't fornicate. Christ's mind does not masturbate. Christ's mind doesn't um, watch pornography. Christ's mind does not lie. Christ's mind does not exaggerate. Christ's mind does not get, you know, angry and sin. So every time those things are happening is when you fall below the mind of Christ, like in your inward consciousness, that's when you, you tend. So it's more, it's more of, it's not really about just going after the sin alone. You must be able to detect patterns in your life and that makes you fall below that mind. That's how you deal with it. You must know what activities in your life of spirits make you fall below that mind. The moment you notice you are falling below the mind of Christ, know that that sin, that habit is not too far away. It's just, it's coming. So you must have wisdom. Wisdom, you know, have accountability, of course, in your life, among your brethren, your spiritual, you know, leadership. Anything that can help you to maintain, you know, the mind of Christ. Amen. There, when every every sin has a neighborhood, right? When you are when you live, when you are constantly in the neighborhood where that sin lives, you can easily sin that sin. And worst case, some people pass by that neighborhood very quickly, frequently. 
so they sin that sin frequently. Some who are worse move there and live there. That's their address. That's the worst case. It means you will constantly be a prey to it. But if you don't want to sin that sin, pack out, move out. Say, I'm never going to come down this to this neighborhood anymore. Rather, I'm going to, I'm going to live in a different environment. And of course, the, and the, that's the environment, the environment that will overcome all this. There's no sin that Christ's mind cannot overcome. But if you are, if you pay attention to be sown, not just by having the, the precept, but also carrying and living the spirit of Christ, the life of Christ, and then being able to take the wisdom from that place and apply it into your affairs. There's no, there's nothing that cannot be broken. So I pray uh, the Lord will help us. There's so much to say about this that could be said, but I just hope that maybe I touch some areas that can help um, some of us. Um, I think Pastor Femi has touched on this. It has been touched on any kind of sin, especially if it's habitual, it thrives in darkness. If nobody knows about it, you are just it's in, it's in secret. You might not get too much help. So a step, a first step is let somebody know I'm struggling with this thing. And who you tell, don't tell somebody who doesn't have answer for who doesn't have help for you. Okay, there is no virtue in sharing your weakness in itself. In itself, sharing your weakness in itself is not a virtue. The reason why you share it is you share it to somebody who you feel has an answer. So share it to somebody who can keep you accountable, somebody who, you know, who, you know, has wisdom, has grace, you feel, that can help you. Just exposing it first and then have some accountability towards it. That will help. Um, but moreover, to round up, um, and this applies to everybody, the Lord will help us to have, um, to constantly carry a repentant heart. Uh, is something that we must all be very rich with. Uh, when you are repent, you have a, a repentant heart. It won't just only show in your your secret, your personal relationship with God. Even in how you relate with your brethren, with your peers, that constant feeling of contrition, brokenness, accepting the blame, accepting the wrong, it keeps it keeps the heart healthy and um, is a serious learning. Mm, and you, you should start learning it early in your Christian work because you will learn it for a long time. You know, what, what tries to elevate the heart um, and makes the heart not have contrition between God and between others is a very deep work because the, Satan depends on it. That when it comes to you, you should find that thing there because there's so much about it. Myself, every day, constantly, the Lord is keeps showing me, keeps showing me myself in my own personal life, especially in my marriage. My marriage is the main school. It's like the Lord just compressed everything, the whole school, and just put it in marriage for me. Um, so I, I, that's what my my biggest school is how to constantly demonstrate that contrition before my wife, because my wife is a person who knows me. You know, everyone sees me from outside. Um, to, to you know, there's an aspect that you see that they cannot see. But marriage is very, and those of us who are married, married. That's one of the tools, reasons for marriage. Um, for the reason for marriage is that you know the Bible says they were naked and they were not ashamed, right? It's that nakedness without shame is also is part of 
contrition, the willingness to admit your faults, willingness to admit that you are not all perfect. Right? It's there's a health, it's a medicine to the heart. It makes the heart healthy. It stops, it will stop a lot of things if God can bless all of us with that kind of spirit. And my prayer is that none of us will fall short of um of this kind of heart. I'm praying um that the grace are just let's just begin to pray. Um as we're rounding up, um that the the grace of God, um, this that heaven will just possess every one of us with strength. Some of us have greater challenge in this area. Some have more challenge than others. Um, you know, our, our natures are different. Some of us are blessed more naturally. Our genes, our nurture and all of that, we are, can easily just admit, okay, I'm wrong. And, and we, we don't have too much problem with being naked. But some of us have, we are built, some of us grew up in homes where, you know, it is, the, we be, grew up in an environment where everybody is covering something where you can't be naked, where you can't even be naked to your siblings, where you must have a cloak, a covering of some sort. And some, and some of us, our souls over time have been formed and framed to always seek to be covered, to be clothed. Uh, and some of those clothings we are wearing are machinations of our own persons, you know, our, our own hands. They are corruptible garments and corruptible clothing that desire to be okay to be, not be wrong, like Pastor Femi said, to always be right. And let's pray that the Lord will begin to tear those things down in us, that the Lord will, they will subject us under grace of heaven. That any wrong, you know, the Bible says that, that we should not think, that let no one think of himself more highly than he ought to. That the Lord will help us even in our community, among ourselves, that the grace for brokenness, the grace for for me to maintain the attitude and the posture of repentance before God and before others, begin to pray the Lord will grant it to us. Ask the Lord that let, I want to be rich with this thing. Help me, help my heart, help my heart. Every weakness in me that, that rears up his head, that is trying to make me not be positioned under you rightly just as a sinner who is saved by grace, as somebody who is under, just subject to your mercy, as someone who is nothing without you, who has no strength, as Paul said, that in whose flesh do I let no good thing, that Lord help me, help my soul, help my heart, help my heart, help my heart to, to accept it, to accept that place, to see it for what it is, to see the rights the place of my heart, the right posturing, the right positioning of heart, which I ought to have under you. Thank you, Jesus. Ecromatius, Ecromatium, Ecromatia, As you're praying now, the Lord is saying to me, there are some people here who you, you have, um, there are things you need to repent of. It's glaring to you. 
but you have not summoned up the courage to come to terms with it and accept it. And just like a baby in the brokenness, just say, Lord, I need help. I'm sorry. I don't know how to come out of this. I don't know how to deal with this. My redemption is in you. I lay no claim to strength. I surrender it all, everything concerning this area, Lord. Help my heart. Help me. Have mercy. Pray. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Have, have mercy. Have mercy. Like that man was calling to Jesus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's all he kept saying. Have mercy. Have mercy. Ask the Lord to have mercy on you. Lord, have mercy on your soul. That the Lord will help you. That every area where you've had is strength and anchor. That is not God. That is not grace. Every false strength, every cloak of strength, begin to say, Lord, help me. Help me in this area. Help my heart. Help me. Break me. Break me afresh. Break my heart. Break my heart. Break my heart. Make my heart soft, tender. Help me to be tender before you. I yield myself. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender to you. Surrender to the Lord. The Lord is saying there's some, there's one or two people here who need to just surrender to me tonight. Just, I'm not saying do anything. I'm not saying fix it. I'm not saying be better. I'm not saying come to me. I'm not saying fix yourself. I'm not giving you a job to do. I'm just saying just allow me. Yield to me. Yield to me. Let me take you. I want to teach you how grace operates. How I can lift you from the miry clay. And take you and let, set your feet upon the rock. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. Lord is calling unto your heart. Say, Lord, I surrender to you. Say, Lord, have mercy. Just ask for mercy. Plead with the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive my pride. Forgive my, my, my self-exaltation. Forgive me for every way I have not trusted in you. I have not leaned, leaned on you. Trusted in you with all of my heart. Have mercy on me in every way. I've leaned onto my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge you. Help me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight. We give you glory. We give you praise. Lord, we acknowledge you. Thank you. Thank you that we have you to go to. And thank you that contrary to the religions of men, you put no burden on us. But rather you took it all. You, you laid it all upon yourself. And all we do is just surrender to you. You are our grace. You are our strength. You are our help. You are our anchor. You are everything. We are nothing. Our Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for this topic, thank you for our conversation, our deliberation. What I ask, may it not just be words. Let the power of these things, these are powerful principles of which you keep them. Your son, even your spirit in the Godhead, these are the things you live by. And Lord, we pray that we will tap into that power and let doors of God to such power be open in our life. The power of grace the secret of grace, to live by grace. Oh, Lord, I pray for everyone tonight, Lord, that you have mercy on us. We confess our sins. 
Father, there is no one on this call here who is not a sinner. There's no one who doesn't have sins. We all have sins in within our members, embedded within our heart and our soul, even in our body, Lord. We confess them. We're saying that we are sinful people. Have mercy on us. We depend on you. We depend on you. Thank you, Lord. Let the doors of repentance be open. Teach us how to constantly repent. Forgive us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. Thank you, our Father. I pray for as many here who are suffering under the bondage and the weight of condemnation. I ask, let your spirit move to set such hearts free in the name of Jesus. I say from today, faith begin to arise. Courage begin to arise. I, I say the ability to depend on the grace of God in the name of Jesus. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, our Father. May God will bless your holy name. Glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God.